Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. So welcome to what I will call part two of the biography of President Russell M. Nelson. I think a great way to start on this uh, second section here is I want to share an experience or two where President Nelson, just to show that, you know, one of the common denominators, I believe, of our prophets, seers, and revelators is that they've always lived their lives close to the Spirit In fact, President Nelson taught us in General Conference, he said, one of the things the Spirit has repeatedly impressed upon my mind since my new calling as president of the church is how willing the Lord is to reveal his mind and will. The privilege of receiving revelation is one of the greatest gifts to God and his children. Through manifestations of the Holy Ghost, the Lord will assist us in all of our righteous pursuits. You may remember that Wendy also has testified on many occasions of her husband's ability to receive revelation. In fact, Wendy explained often that President Nelson will arise in the middle of the night and begin writing on a notepad with a lighted pen. The number of nighttime messages to him since becoming the president of the church have increased exponentially. In fact, on one early morning, Wendy felt inspired that she needed to get out of bed and leave President Nelson to sleep alone. So she left her room to do some family history research and then related that two hours later, my husband emerged from our bedroom and said, Wendy, you won't believe what has been happening for two hours. The Lord has given me detailed instructions about a process I'm to follow. In fact, in a recent interview, Wendy, speaking of President Nelson, her husband said, I have seen him changing in the last 10 months. It's though he's been unleashed. He's free to do what he came here to earth to do. And he's free to follow through with things he's been concerned about but never could do. Now that, now that he's the president of the church, he can do those things. Wendy also testified that on many occasions uh, she has seen that mantle upon her husband and the constant flow of revelation. Now this isn't new for President Nelson. It wasn't like he just started receiving revelations here, you know, a few years ago. Revelation has been part of his life from, from the very beginning, especially in his adult life. From that autobiography, From Heart to Heart, he recorded this experience. On April the 3rd, 1969, Russell and Dansel had a house full of children and several teenage daughters. He was awakened about 3 o'clock in the morning by an impression from the Spirit. Quickly, he went into the bedroom of one of his teenage daughters. At their window was a man peering through the window, trying to break in. Russell's presence scared the man away. Who knows what could have happened had Russell not responded to that spiritual prompting. Now, President Nelson has received many revelations in his own family. And, of course, he's received revelations in his church responsibilities. Let's now talk a little bit about President Nelson at home because what impresses me about every member of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve is the common denominator, so to speak, 
of being wonderful and strong husbands and fathers, of being fully committed uh, to that work. Now, as part of that, President Nelson is very musical. Dansel was very musical as well. In fact, many may not understand that Dansel actually received a scholarship to the Juilliard Music School. She didn't take it, though. She decided to marry Russell instead. Um, but since 1967, until late in her life, she was a member of the Tabernacle Choir. In fact, when she was at choir practice on Thursday nights, as I remember, President Nelson had the children that night. And we'll talk more about that later, but he was an involved father in every way. President Nelson also is a pianist and an organist. In fact, for years, he was the one who would play the piano at all the meetings of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Another common denominator to look for in our apostles is that they, these are men who wake up early in the morning. They don't, they don't get up at 10 o'clock. Uh, they start the day early. Here's President Nelson. I get up before anyone else, and that gives me time for personal scripture reading, private prayer, and about half an hour playing the hymns of Bach on the organ. By the time I leave home in the morning, my mind is filled with good things, the scriptures and fine music. This gets my day off to a good good start, better than any other way that i found. Now, I was trying to imagine that in the Nelson home of uh, the children being woken up to their father playing the organ early in the morning, but uh, or the piano. Pretty fun. With such heavy demands on his time, how does he manage to have a rewarding family life with only 24 hours in every day? Once before giving Dr. Nelson a blessing on the eve of President Kimball's surgery, the one we just mentioned a little while ago, President Harold B. Lee asked Dansel how it felt to be the wife of a man who was so busy, not only in his profession, but in his church calling. And she simply said, you know what, when he's home, he's home. So President Nelson would not have been one like in our current day who would bring home a laptop and pound on the computer all night long. Uh, or answer emails or text. When he was home, he was a fully devoted husband and father. In fact, one of his daughters said to me that our dad knew that his work day really didn't begin until he got home and was with our mom and with us as kids. The Nelson children can count on consistency. Daily scripture reading was at 6.30 every morning. Family prayer was at 6.45 and at every meal. And then at 10 p.m., they had family home evening every week. Uh, the children sang together. They played musical instruments together. For many years, the sounds of the piano, the violin, the guitar, the accordion, and the flute have filled the home. I love what one of uh, President Nelson's daughters said of him, thinking back of her years as a child. And this is his daughter, Emily, who actually passed away in her mid-30s of cancer. But before that, during this interview... She said, I never felt dad was too busy for me. We spent lots of time together. Even with a difficult schedule, President Nelson made time to establish lasting relationships with each one of his children. We'll talk about some of the ways that he did that in just a minute. Holidays and vacations were great times for family time. In the winter, the family would ski. President Nelson called snow skiing one of his greatest loves. In the summertime, it was water skiing, swimming, and tennis. Now, what some of you may know, what some of you may not know, is that the Nelson family had a cabin up at Midway near Heber City, Utah, uh, where they loved to go and spend a lot of time. 
and that meant that they, they skied on a lake called Deer Creek. Now, one of President Nelson's daughters explained to me that watching our dad slalom ski across Deer Creek was like watching a graceful Olympic ice skater. I mean, he was just so incredible as a water skier as well. They'd go horseback riding. Um, in fact, President Nelson said, I cherish dearly the memory of riding the horse with each of my young ones as they came along. He said, I'd bury my nose in the hair of that little one and wrap my arms around her or him. I'm sure each of the children thought I was hanging on to give them security while they were riding the horse, but I was actually clinging to a precious moment that I had alone with each loved one as that turn came. On each occasion, I offered a prayer of gratitude to my Father in Heaven for the great privilege of being a father to this one. For I knew each to be such a special spirit. I love that about President Nelson and his one-on-one relationship with each of his children. Now, Spencer J. Condy outlined in the book, Russell M. Nelson, Father, Surgeon, Apostle, which I recommend to everyone. He said, for many years, Monday afternoons in the winter have been reserved for skiing which Dr. Nelson previously shared with some of his medical colleagues along with his children and grandchildren. He couldn't make it every Monday because of travel obligations, but he still tries to reserve that time. At least 20 years ago or so, he would try to reserve that time for the the regeneration, and we could even say for the rejuvenation that comes from smelling the pines and enjoying the solitude of a quiet snowfall on a steep mountain where stillness and silence seem so serene. Russell has never taken for granted the blessing of living close enough to the ski slopes that he can work a good afternoon or forenoon, be on the lift at 1 o'clock p.m., ski until 4.30, and then return home for dinner with his family. Other accounts talk about President Nelson not only teaching his children and grandchildren how to ski, but even some of his great-grandchildren. Now, Sister Nelson, uh, Dansel, said this of her husband that, He makes me feel that I'm most important in his life. He didn't allow the children to be rude or ever talk back. He would always say, Mother's the queen of the house. Whatever she wants, that's the way it's going to be. And Danzel said, I've always had that support. Thursdays have been her day to do what she likes to do. Every Thursday morning, Danzel would do volunteer work at the LDS hospital. And then as a member of the Tabernacle Choir, she would attend choir rehearsals on Thursday evenings. And Russell would arrange his schedule so that he could be home with the children. Now, one of the things his daughters made very clear in our interviews is that was not time where dad was watching ESPN and the kids were just running wild through the house. President Nelson was very involved in their lives, helping prepare meals, doing dishes, helping the children with their homework, reading to them. In fact, even in their younger years, having five or six of them in the bathtub together and scrubbing each other's backs and then turning the other way and scrubbing the other back. Anyway, he just, like I I mentioned, and I'll be a little bit more specific now, but I had the opportunity a couple of years ago as we wrote that chapter of the book on President Nelson's life to interview Sylvia, his daughter Sylvia, and his daughter Gloria. I'm going to quote from Sylvia for a minute uh, because I asked her this question. I said, how did President do it? Busy heart, how did President Nelson do it? Busy heart surgeon, stake president, father of 10. And Sylvia just said one word, mother. She said, mom had dinner on the table every evening between 5.30 and 6. And when Russell, her dad, would walk into the home, she said his first priority was to find our mom 
and to give her a hug and a kiss. But she also said that he would find all of us and do the same with us. He was a worker, she said. He would never come home and just plop down in front of the TV. Once home, that's when his real work day began. He was helping with dinner, dishes, homework, the kids bathe and dress younger ones. And then she said this, I know it sounds unbelievable, but he really was unbelievable in so many ways. His daughter Gloria said this, she said, when I think the best word to describe my dad, she says, I think of him as a disciple because he's so disciplined. Once again, Gloria said the first thing our dad did, or one of the first things, so we just established that one first thing he did was greet a dancer with a hug and a kiss, but he'd always, he would also walk in and turn the TV off. Uh, he wanted to have that family time without the TV on. On, you know, we've already established it on Thursdays. President Nelson would, you know, made, he had all the kids so Dansel could have that time for whatever she needed. But also on Saturdays, Saturday mornings, the children all had chores to do. But then President Nelson would take his children out of the home for a couple of hours every Saturday morning or early afternoon so that Dansel could also have some downtime. He would take his children ice skating, swimming, fishing, hiking, whatever it was uh, to give her some of that time. Other Evidences of family time. Gloria talked about vacations. They had the cabinet midway, but they went to Philadelphia. They went to the World's Fair. They vi- they visited church historic sites. They went to Canada. They went to Sun Valley. In fact, one of the daughters told me that uh, she remembers going on a vacation where they actually had to take two cars because they couldn't fit everyone in one. Um, when he had medical conferences that I'll talk more about in just a minute, He would bring one of his children with him if he could. Uh, Every Mother's Day, Dansel and all the daughters received a corsage. In fact, President Nelson would often walk into the home and say, look how beautiful your mother looks tonight. He always wanted his children to know how in love he was with their mother. Sometimes for President Nelson, his surgical procedures would require him to be at the hospital longer in the evening time checking up and following up on patients. And so Gloria shared with me that on many late evenings, their dad will walk into the door and still greet Dansel, Dansel and the children affectionately. In fact, Gloria reported that often after mom had put the baby to bed, her dad would arrive home late at night, find the sleeping baby, take them out of the crib, and nuzzle his nose into their neck and sing to them. One of his favorite songs to sing was Daddy's Little Girl. Russell was determined to stay connected to his family no matter how busy he was. And I know that from what I've read and studied, I think one of the things that President Nelson saw was a lot of doctors, although they were making a lot of money, they were losing their families because part of it was they just weren't home that much. And I think President Nelson was really determined, quite determined, that he wasn't going to lose members of his family. He was going to hold on to his family as tight as he could. Now, if I walked into our home and grabbed a sleeping baby and and pulled it out of the crib, uh, I think my wife would not be real happy. But I think in the case of Danzel, she was like, you know what? This is great. He's connecting. So let's talk about these medical conferences that I've referred to a time or two. You know, what would happen is President Nelson and Danzel would talk. They would confer with each other. And he would say, who needs the extra attention? Who needs the help? Sylvia shared with me that she remembers going on trips with her dad to New York and to Tucson. 
Arizona. President Nelson loves lasagna. And in New York, Sylvia remembers eating lasagna and going to the opera, which he also loves. Um, other children recounted similar experiences. I believe Gloria shared with me that she remembers actually going on a tour of the Air Force Academy at one of President Nelson's conferences. Now, I was able to go through the book Heart to Heart or From Heart to Heart and really dig in deep and, and crunch a few numbers here that I'd like to share with you. So we have a record from 1960 to 1978. During that time, President Nelson attended, that's an 18-year span, over 165 medical conferences or meetings. In fact, as I went through his autobiography, I was actually quite surprised how often he was gone at conferences, but it felt like it was maybe at least once a month and sometimes more. He was traveling. He took his children with him to those conferences 36 times during that 18-year period, which would be 22% of the conferences. Dancil traveled with him 35 times, 21% of the conferences. Then, as the general Sunday school president from 1972 to 78, he traveled 32 times in his calling as a general Sunday school president. He took children with him 12 times, that's 38% of the conferences, and Dancil came 30, uh, sorry, 11 times, 34% of the conferences. And once again, I, I really believe that was President Nelson's attempt to stay very close to his children. Let me read to you what Spencer J. Condy wrote in President Nelson's biography. He said, Some of the Nelson family traditions became coupled with Russell's continuing education, sparked by his insatiable desire to learn. Because he was generally out of town 25 to 30% of the year, so there's that statistic, attending medical meetings to advance his pursuit of knowledge, Dr. Nelson usually took with him one or more family members on each trip. This kept him from getting lonesome for his loved ones, gave him a chance to listen to their problems and hopes, and provided him and family members with an opportunity to talk to each other and to share ideas and experiences. The selection of which child got to go on which trip was not based on a rotation, but rather on which child needed their dad the most. Russell recalled boarding a plane with one of his daughters when he noticed that Elder Marky Peterson of the Quorum of the Twelve was on the same flight. Russell explained to Elder Peterson that his daughter was accompanying him to a professional meeting, adding almost apologetically that taking her along might seem a bit extravagant. Elder Peterson responded, Extravagant? No, Brother Nelson, this is a wise investment. Nonetheless, the privilege of having one or more of the family with him on those trips, he said, he wrote, has been the spoonful of sugar that's helped the medicine go down. The medicine, in quotes, was his relentless pursuit of excellence through continuing medical education that took him away from his family and loved ones but allowed him to improve, improve the quality of his work. By the way, this is a great lesson for all the dads out there. You know, maybe there are times when we can take our children with us in our work pursuits and to have those one-on-one -on -one bonding times. I know that uh, when I worked in Dallas and traveled a little bit with my job, I really tried to follow President Nelson's example and, and I took my children with me when I could. I couldn't do that all the time, but I know that made a difference in some of their lives and it certainly made a difference in mine. Now back to my interview with Gloria and Richard Erian. 
Gloria said that our dad is always broadening his circle of influence. He's not shrinking it. He's an expander. He's inclusive. He brings everyone in at those monthly meetings. And by the way, let's clarify. So once a month, the Nelson family gets together for what we would call a very large family home evening, often with over 100, 100 people in attendance, which includes children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And sometimes those meetings are held at a church and sometimes in, a, in uh, one of the children's homes. But boy, President Nelson makes sure, he makes sure that while he's at those meetings that, and I shouldn't say those meetings, but those family gatherings, that he connects with every person. And I remember when I first heard that, and we, you know, we have a relatively large family, nothing close to the Nelsons, but, but I remember thinking, wow, am I making sure that I have a connection with every grandchild and every child and in-law child that come into our home? Wow, I, I need to make sure that that happens. I asked Rich, Rich Arian, the, the husband of Gloria, if President Nelson was funny. He said, well, he was a lot funnier before he was an apostle, that was for sure. But then he remembered this, that when President, when, when they had so many daughters that were teenagers at the same time, that President Nelson would walk in late at night into the family room and speak to the boyfriends who were still there. And he would say, did you know that you're still here? And then he would hold up his hands and say, look, people's lives depend on me getting my sleep. And so uh, time to go, right? And that was how they got that message. Now, I, I told you those family gatherings, those birthday nights, sometimes they'll have 25 to 30 names on the birthday cake. Sylvia said, my dad doesn't miss a baptism. He doesn't miss a, a, any ordinance. And he'll make a scrapbook for his grandchildren or great-grandchildren taking photos at their baptism. We know that he's very savvy when it comes to technology. He's a texter. His daughters have shared with me. He likes to send pictures to his family members, especially when they're traveling. His children and grandchildren will, will receive texts and photos every day, documenting where they are. He likes to keep the family very informed of what he's doing. Let me also add a little bit about President Nelson's quest for learning. You know, we often talk about uh, that great story of uh, 1978, I believe it was. At the time, Elder Nelson was actually a regional representative. And he sits in this meeting where President Kimball speaks on the obligation to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. And during that meeting, President Kimball emphasized that the work must carry over to China and that we need more church members to learn Mandarin. Now, I love that Elder Nelson took it upon himself in his spare time as a doctor and a regional representative to just go learn Mandarin. Not only did he learn to speak Mandarin well enough to communicate effectively, but he learned Mandarin well enough to communicate during surgery as he taught heart surgery at the Shandong Medical College in China and was actually named an honorary professor at that school. But I've talked to many, and I'm not one who learned a foreign language on my mission, but I've talked to many who have and I remember talking to one good friend years ago who had gone to Russia on his mission. And I learned that he was working in Russia. And I said, hey, that must be really cool since you speak the language. And he had to remind me that, you know, look, you need to know that speaking missionary Russian is really different than, uh, you know, Russian in the business world. 
And I can only imagine uh, what it would be like to speak, you know, Mandarin during surgery. And that just speaks of our prophets, high level of intellect. But what I want you to know is that learning languages has always been a part of President Nelson's life. In fact, in 1973, uh, I have an excerpt from From Heart to Heart, page 351, where he decided to take upon himself to learn Spanish. And so every one night a week at the University of Utah, he would go and take a special class where he would learn Spanish. Why? Part of the reason was because as the general you know, Sunday school president, he wanted to speak in the native language of the people that he was visiting. On another occasion in 1977, he talks about taking a series of weekly German lessons. Um, he wanted to. He always wanted to be able to speak the language wherever he was going. In fact, we have a niece who is serving her mission right now in Sweden, and she shared with us a great picture of, uh, on her computer screen of President Nelson and his wife Wendy. And she said, you guys aren't going to believe this. President Nelson spoke to us in Swedish. Uh, I cannot, <laughs> cannot articulate the intellect of our prophet, but it's mind-blowing. Now, we've often heard the expression that bef- behind every successful man is what I would say a strong and successful or even more successful woman or a more impressive woman, however you'd like to say that. I know that's true in my own life, but... President Nelson, by his own admission, I'm sure, would not be where he is today without Dansel, uh, and of course now with Wendy. But I want to just share with you a couple, I call her Saint Dansel, and I'll just give you a couple of reasons why. A couple stories in Spencer J. Condy's biography on President Nelson's life. One day, Brenda, who's one of their daughters, stopped by to visit her mom. That's Dansel. And then their two-year-old daughter accidentally broke one of Dansel's beautiful, expensive Yadro figurines. The little granddaughter immediately sensed that she was in deep trouble. And as she began to cry, her loving grandmother quickly enveloped her in her arms and said, Mindy, don't worry about it. It's just a thing. And that's not important. You are most important to me. On another occasion, Rosalie, another daughter, brought her infant son, Tally, over to visit. The baby had not been feeling well, so Rosalie had given him some red gelatin water in a bottle, and then Tally threw up splattering this red mixture on Dansel's light-colored carpet. The red coloring permanently discolored the carpet, and all attempts at removing the stains failed. Without the least degree of distress, Dansel, Dansel merely put a small area rug over the discolored section, and never mentioned it ever again afterwards. This is really impressive to me. And then Dansel confessed once to a time where she nearly got mad. She almost got mad. She had inherited a family heirloom, a beautiful cut glass bowl that had been given to her mother as a wedding gift, which she had passed down to Dansel. Now it was placed on the living room table. And as the grandchildren were playing upstairs... A ball came bouncing down the stairway and smashed into that bowl and broke it into pieces. After taking a deep breath, Dansel said, Well, it's my own fault. I should have known better than to put that beautiful bowl on that table with children around. And then she later recalled a statement by her own mother. When the children come home and leave their dirty fingerprints on the windows, cupboards, and doors, 
I don't know whether I should wash them off or to varnish them on. What an incredible, <laughs> what an incredible statement. You know, the Nelsons celebrated every wedding anniversary, that's August the 31st, by being in the temple together that day. And so for many years, you know, President Nelson made sure that that day was blocked off on his calendar so he and Dansel could be in the temple that day and renew and review the covenants they made with each other and their Heavenly Father. Um, I love that he said once that we feel that to an extent every day should be our wedding anniversary. Well, President Nelson gave us a great, great detail in a general conference talk called Now is the Time to Prepare. That was in uh, the April of 2005 conference. He said, since our last general conference, my sweetheart, my beloved wife for 59 years passed away. While I was at home on a rare Saturday with no assignment, we had worked together. She had washed our clothes and I had helped carry it and fold it and put it in place. We were sitting on the sofa, holding hands and enjoying, and another account says they were actually watching a BYU basketball game, when my precious Dancil slipped peacefully into eternity. Her passing came suddenly and unexpectedly. Just four days earlier, our doctor's report at a routine checkup indicated that her lab tests were good. And after my efforts to revive her proved fruitless, feelings of shock and sorrow overwhelmed me. My closest friend, angel mother of our 10 children, grandmother of our 56 grandchildren had been taken from us. From her sudden departure, we can learn a very important lesson that now is the time to prepare to meet God. Tomorrow may be too late, and we know that Dansel was well prepared to meet our Heavenly Father. So she dies on February the 12th, 2005. And on April the 6th, 2006, over a year later, uh, President Nelson marries Wendy Watson in the Salt Lake Temple. And what a great relationship and a wonderful experience that has been. In fact, more on that relationship is talked about how President Nelson met in Sherry's do book on insights to President Nelson's life that also is fantastic, and I share it with all of you, or, or at least recommend it to everyone. In a general conference talk, President Nelson once said, I don't fear death. In fact, a scripture describes a saint's death as precious in the sight of the Lord, quoting Psalms 116, verse 15. It will be precious to me, too, as I am reunited with our parents and our precious daughter, Emily, who died some five years ago. Her passing left her young and righteous husband with five children. I will eagerly meet my ancestors and preceding prophets and apostles. And one day, Sister Nelson and I will dwell together in the presence of our family and the Lord forevermore. Now, that talk was given, I believe, in 2001. Since then, another daughter named Wendy, as you may know, passed away a couple of years ago. And President Nelson, I love what he talks about, is how much he looks forward to being reuni reunited now with his wife, Dansel, and with Emily and with Wendy. We've made the case that President Nelson has always followed prophets. When David O. McKay recommended to him that he, that he shouldn't move from Salt Lake. He should not move to Chicago, but stay put. President Nelson stayed put. When President Kimball said, go learn Mandarin, I think more members need to learn Mandarin, President Nelson went and, and learned Mandarin. When President Monson said, I think as a church we should all read the Book of Mormon again, 
Not only did President Nelson read the Book of Mormon again, but his next talk in the following general conference was on the blessing of following President Monson's counsel to read the Book of Mormon. Here's President Nelson. I never ask myself, when does the prophet speak as a prophet and when does he not? My interest has been, how can I be more like him? Perhaps I can finish now with a couple of key points to make. I began by talking about following the Spirit and the role the Spirit plays in our lives. And we we know in that great talk that President Nelson gave on revelation for the church, revelation for our lives, when he tells us that we're not going to we're not going to be able to survive spiritually in the last days unless we receive the inspiration and revelation from the Spirit. So we know how important he feels about that. So let me share with you something Sylvia, his daughter, shared with me. She told of an experience recently with her husband, David, who experienced a major medical episode and ended up at the hospital. Now try to stay close on this, close to me on this, because I'm going to give you some detail. Sylvia texts her father, our prophet, President Nelson, at 8 p.m. on Tuesday to explain the situation. She let her father know that David was going to be in the hospital for a long time because this illness was so severe. And Sylvia related that her father often goes to bed, so this is a fun insight about President Nelson, around 8 o'clock or 8.30 p.m., and she did not expect to hear back from him that evening. Wednesday morning, though, when Sylvia looked at her phone, she noticed that her dad had texted her back around midnight. He indicated that he needed to see Sylvia and David first thing in the morning. By 8 a.m., President Nelson was at the hospital. He explained to Sylvia that he was awakened at midnight with the name of a doctor, but he didn't understand why he needed to know that name. It wasn't until President Nelson saw Sylvia's text shortly after midnight that it became clear to him why he needed to know the name of that particular doctor. President Nelson said to Sylvia, this is the doctor Dave needs to see. And although it appeared that Dave was receiving appropriate medical care, President Nelson insisted that he needed to see that doctor whose name was revealed to him in the middle of the night. Therefore, they did change doctors and miracles followed. In fact, Sylvia explained that if they had not switched doctors, her husband David would have passed away. And then she said this, and they call President Nelson Daddy. Daddy was in tune with the spirit and he was able to text and let us know that he had received that inspiration to get Dave the help that he needed. And that doctor will be forever indebted to because he literally saved my husband's life. Now here's another one. It's one of my favorite expressions from President Nelson. This is something that I really want to find a way to incorporate in our own family. But in the September 1993, so just about, you know, over 20 plus years ago, the Nelson family newsletter Elder Nelson at the time shared with his extended family the feelings he had while attending a recent testimony meeting with other members of the Quorum of the Twelve. Now, President Nelson would have been a member of the Quorum of the Twelve for about nine years at that time, and he wrote that to be taught by the Twelve is one thing, but to feel the inspiration that comes to each of us as he stands to speak is another. The world can never know, nor can we explain, but the faithful saints will perceive the mutual love and the divine direction that we feel. As a father-in-law, as a father, as a grandfather, 
He then closed with this gentle exhortation in a way, I understand that each member of the family is subject to extra scrutiny because of the position to which I have been called. I too am to live out the final scenes of my life in full public view. Together we sustain each other with fidelity, love, and gratitude to the Lord for all the blessings that we have received. And then President Nelson said, May we never take any of them for granted or be timid about expressing our reliance on the Lord from whom all blessings flow. And when difficult days that lie ahead come upon us, we need to all the more be resolute and unwavering in our faith. And then here's the key for me. We are to be the examples. We no longer can afford the luxury of anonymity and going along with the crowd and ordinary behavior. If we are to be lifeguards, we can't resemble all the other swimmers on the beach. And as the world is awash in spiritual drift and apathy, Mother and I pray for each of you to be steadfast and strong, well-anchored to the everlasting gospel and to the teachings of prophets and apostles, past and present. I just love this concept that if we are to be lifeguards, we can't resemble all the other swimmers on the beach. We see so many today that are following, so many members of the church that are following what's being taught and what's being said on social media and among others. And what we need today are leaders, people who will stand up for their beliefs and rise up and be defenders of the family and defenders of the faith. And I, I love that expression from President Nelson. Let me close with this. Years ago, it was in 2011, a man by the name of Val Joe Anderson spoke at a BYU devotional. His talk was entitled Into the Burn, and I recommend it to all of you. He said, a great lesson was learned when, as a young man of 18, I took a summer job with the U.S. Forest Service. One of our duties was to be part of a 20-man fire crew that could be called out from time to time to fight wildfires. Now, i got to take a break here because I, I know that a lot of you are hearing this and going, wait, wait, are, what's, what's going on? Are we talking about President Nelson? Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about following prophets. And I think this is a great story that teaches a great principle here for each of us. Earlier, a wildfire had claimed the lives of four firefighters when in panic they failed to follow the direction of their crew boss and tried to outrun an unexpected and fierce advance of a fire. The shockwaves of that incident were felt all around the region and rigorous training ensued. Following the command of the crew boss without question or hesitation was given particular emphasis. We fought several fires that season. And then late in August, our crew was called out to fight a wildfire in Southern California. This was a large fire that had many crews dispatched to fight it. Our crew, along with two other crews, were assigned a sector of the fire. It was a chaparral brush fire that had a tremendously fine fuel load of dried grasses and weeds in the understory. We were obliged to make a two-mile hike from the nearest road through the brush to where the fire was burning. It was not a particularly intense blaze, and we were to build a black line, a fire line right against the burning edge of the fire. As our three 20-man crews, marching single file through the brush, approached the fire, the sector boss suddenly appeared on a nearby ridgeline. His urgent command was to become indelibly impressed upon my mind. His voice screamed through our radios, She's blowing up! 
She's blowing up into the burn. My pulse raced and my heart sank as I watched the small campfire-type flames fanned on by an intense wind shift transform into a raging inferno, racing directly towards us. The command into the burn meant that we would charge through the fire and into the area where the fire had consumed the fuel. Or in other words, we're going to run right through the fire to the other side of it. My instinctive impulse was to turn and run, and I could see others considering that option. Our crew boss, without hesitation, reiterated the command into the burn. And though it did not seem like the intuitive thing to do, my training and my memory of the tragic earlier deaths compelled me to follow my leader through that wall of fire. On the, other, the, on the other side, we found a blackened moonscape where the fire could not return. With eyes and lungs burning from the heat in the whirling smoke and ash, we resorted to dancing on, the top, on top of the hot rocks to protect our feet from the searing deep ash. We had made the right decision, and we were preserved. About 30 minutes later, the wind died down, and we were able to cross back out of the burn and begin our black line. That was an intense lesson that helped me to understand the importance of knowing in advance who you should trust and follow without hesitation, especially when the correct choice may be obscured by our own limited experience or instinctive bias. Now, for some of you, that analogy may be very obvious. For others, it may be a, a stretch. But for me, to follow our crew boss, in this case, our living prophets, even in some cases where their words or their directives may not, might, may not make a lot of sense to some of us. But to trust in them and to know that we can trust them and that their instruction could lead us to safety is something that I treasure. I am so grateful for President Russell M. Nelson. I'm grateful for his words and his, for his prophetic leadership. I'm so thankful that he's not afraid, that he's fearless, and that he's giving us guidance and direction to help preserve our lives and help us to live joyous, happy lives here in the latter days. Now, I understand that we may not always get or comprehend the very things our prophets are inviting us to do, but trust in the crew boss. I share that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.